Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of The Yard. I want to start the show off, first of all, by saying thank you. There were so many people that responded uh, to my opening comments on the show on Monday about my friend Grant, and a lot of people have been so incredibly gracious and kind and uh, shared their own experiences, been very helpful. It is a difficult time, but you know what? You know, we get productive and we try to move forward. Our loved ones that have passed on would not want us to just simply fall apart. And so the reality of it is, is that life goes on. And that's cold sometimes, but it's true. But uh, I appreciate so many of you that reached out. There are many others that uh, went on the message board and you know, made their own comments. And some people on Twitter that shared like a suicide hotline, suicide prevention number, and that sort of stuff. And so I think it's important. We have to pull together as a society, right? I mean, we have to really cheer for each other and pick each other up. And it's difficult too. You know, when you've got people that kind of have their minds made up, hey, this is the end. It's it's difficult to talk them out, out of that sort of stuff. They're ne- really not re- very receptive to having those discussions with you. So, uh, so again, thank you very much. And uh, a lot to uh, be grateful for in life. There's no doubt about it. I want to thank the Starville Kiwanis Club for having me yesterday. Went out there and sold some books and um, kind of discussed football and kind of what's going on with me. And, there, of course, there's some other projects I'm working on. There's always some things out there that uh, – you know, I'm talking to people about, had a meeting earlier today about um, some NIL stuff. And then uh, we're going to have a staff meeting tomorrow, and then we'll have some announcements in relation to that. We, we encourage you to be a partner with Mississippi State when it comes to NIL. If you have a business, good way to promote your business. And, and I'm not saying, hey, you got to pick a side in a rivalry. I mean, maybe you should do business on both sides of the rivalry and get maybe a Southern Miss guy, state guy, Ole Miss guy, female, uh, just, you know, a student athlete from each of those. I think it's important, you know, maybe utilize this resource as a marketing tool for your own business. If you don't have a business and you want to be involved, we endorse the Bulldog Initiative. Shared that with you guys in about 30 minutes uh, here on the show last week about that. I am a big proponent of that. I have spoken to administrators at Mississippi State to kind of ensure this is compliant, right? I mean, the last thing that any of us want is, okay, I'm going to get involved with this. I'm kind of unaware of how it all works. I don't want to put my name, my business in harm's way, and in some respects, put the university in harm's way. So the Bulldog Initiative is doing things the right way. There are some other people out there that have some NIL stuff. They, They do. I don't know as much about that, so I can't really talk intelligently about it, but I can tell you the Bulldog Initiative in and of itself is doing things the right way. And uh, many of you Boneyard listeners have responded and uh, signed up, and and you can make a one-time donation. You can make a recurring monthly donation, a quarterly donation, and maybe you don't even have uh, any directive. You're just like, hey, I just want to help out. That's the way to go. And you can always pick your favorite sports. You can make a donation and say, hey, I'd like for this to go to football. You know, uh, I understand, too, that there was, there's some, a guy out there that says, hey, I want to go get the best kicker in the portal every year. And so here's my contribution to that end. And so you can be involved in that. It doesn't matter if it's women's golf, football, whatever. You can, be in, you can pick your sport and say, you know what, I want to support these student athletes. And uh, a, a big part of this, too, there's so much of this that makes the paper as it relates to recruiting, right? Because that's what moves the needle. It's like, oh, Steve, it's legalized cheating. And in many respects, it may be. But a lot of these leaks, you know, about these big deals are not necessarily accurate. A lot of that stuff's not disclosed. And so it's like all of a sudden, 
you know, people put these things out there to kind of get their name in the paper. And I think there's also some coaches out there. I mean, I, I'm going to kind of point the finger at Alabama and Nick Saban and even our buddy Greg Byrne. It's like, I don't know their circumstance, but here's the deal. Nobody is going to feel sorry for the University of Alabama. Just not going to do it, you know. Uh, you know, they, they've had at least uh, a coach. I think every coach in the last several decades has had at least one 10-win season. I mean, how many programs can say that? There's a culture there. There are resources there. There's a commitment there. And we've had Nick Saban get out there and basically say that they're falling behind in NIL stuff. you got Greg Byrne kind of echoing those same things. Is that true or is that a cry to galvanize donors? Maybe it's both. But the reality of it is, is you know, nobody out here is going to say, oh, poor old Alabama. You know, matter of fact, we're going to talk about Alabama a little bit later in the show. But um, if you want to be involved, I encourage you to get involved. Uh, and that's the, uh, the Bulldog Initiative. You can Google that. There's a website set up. Makes it really easy. You know, you could Venmo them. I'm sure you can PayPal them. But, uh, you know, if you want to get involved, you can get involved. We encourage you to get involved because eventually there is going to be some standardization to all of this. But in the meantime, we have to do our part. And then we, at Gene's Page, can do our part too. So we want to be a willing partner of the university, but also, too, I don't just want to get out here on a microphone and preach to you guys about what you should do. Uh, we're going to be involved in this, too, and we're going to do what we can uh, to help with the retention of our student-athletes. And so I share that with you. We'll have more information about that later. But uh, I just want you to know we're putting our money where our mouth is, too, and I encourage you to do so. It would be hypocritical of me to say, hey, you need to do this, and then I'm just going to sit back and do nothing. It's not how it's going to work. All right, let's thank our friends over at Bulldog Burger Company. I love Bulldog Burger Company. I, I do. I love them more than a friend. And there's a couple reasons why. Number one, I get a delicious meal, right? Well, that's the whole purpose of going out, right? I mean, there are some places people are like, oh, this place is great. And I go, and I'm like, it's blah. Oh, we got a great atmosphere. We got good service, but the food is just kind of blah. I know when I go to Bulldog Burger Company, I'm going to get a delicious meal. And it doesn't matter which location that I choose. You've got three now to pick from. University Drive here in Star Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and then Lake Harbor Drive there in the Roads and Floyd area. Be sure and go by and check them out. Have the spring rolls as your appetizer. They will make you and everybody around you better looking. It's a fact. Trust the science, right? That's what we've been told the last uh, 18 months. Trust the science. I can give you my own personal experiences. That's, that's how I have maintained this youthful look is the spring rolls from Bulldog Burger Company. I love it. Go by, have a great restaurant-quality hamburger. I am a big proponent of the Sloppy Joe sliders. I think it's a great lunch portion, especially. Sometimes I have it for dinner. You know, sometimes I don't want to eat big at night. But I love those things, too. And uh, the French fries are out of this world. I think if we actually voted on best French fries in Starkville proper, I believe Bulldog Burger Company is going to win that easily. Maybe we should conduct our own poll. But I believe, based on... My dining experience is in Starkville, and there are some great places to eat here. Don't get me wrong. I think the French fries at Bulldog Burger Company might be the best. Go judge for yourself. Get that chocolate shake to go. You'll be glad you did. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, our top story of the day, Luke Hancock coming back for one more season. Mississippi State baseball. Not a total surprise. But there were a few days there that, hey, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, Luke might sign a free agent deal. You know, Luke's getting married, and Luke may be moving on with life. So there was a little anxiety about this. Spoke to Luke earlier today. He's very relieved. 
And I think the big thing, too, with Luke, I mean, just talking to him, I think the fact that last season went as poorly as it did for the team collectively, I don't think Luke wants that to be like his final memory. Like the last time that he swings a college bat is at Duty Noble Field. And you say, well, Steve, that'd be great. Yeah, if it's in the Supers. You know, you don't make Hoover. You don't make a regional. You don't make the Supers, obviously. You don't make it to Omaha. I think as great as 2021 was, 2022 was equally as bad. And it's not always somebody's fault. We had some negative things go against us. But I think, I think one of the driving forces with Luke is, Luke, number one, loves Mississippi State. The kid grew up a Bulldog fan. And I think there's part of this you think about your legacy. It's like, yeah, we won an AFL championship, but, you know, the next year we finished dead last in the West, out of the postseason completely. And then the team in the East that finished dead last took two out of three from us. I think there is a pride factor involved here with Luke. He's like, you know what, hey, I didn't get drafted. And he admits he was very upset about that, as any of us would be. And there were some discussions he might be a late-round pick. He wasn't. And so, okay, now you come back, and now you at least have the possibility of getting drafted again. If you sign a free agent deal, it's over. And that's not to say you can't sign a free agent deal next year. But there are some byproducts of this decision that I think are important. Let me ask you this. Do you feel more favorable about Luke Hancock today than you would had Luke left? I mean, you would have like a good memory of Luke because of the fact that he, he is the best two-strike hitter in college baseball and he wears our uniform. But the fact you got him back for another year, even if he doesn't get drafted, you know, the, the fact that there is this driving motivation for him Say, so you know what, let's go back and get Mississippi State baseball where it deserves to be, where it belongs, where it needs to be. Those were exact words from him. That's my only goal. He didn't say, hey, I want to come back and get drafted or I want to be an all-SEC guy, I want to be a player of the year guy, I want to win a batting title. He goes, no, my only goal is to get Mississippi State baseball back. That's a guy you can cheer for right there. That's a guy you can get excited about. Now, let's kind of, you know, look at what Luke's done in his career at Mississippi State. You know, it seems like Luke has been here forever, and I guess in many respects he has been. Uh, you know, Luke is a guy that has been a contributor, you know, throughout his career. There's really not much question about it. I think Luke's a guy, too, you look at and you begin to think, all right, you know, is Luke Hancock going to be, you know, the dude? You know, is Luke a guy that can, um, can carry this team? You know, I don't know if that's a fair assessment, but I think he can be a valuable A.B. for us. Now, he's played four years, and, of course, this is basically the COVID year. So this will be his fifth year in the uniform. Now, when you make that decision to play college baseball, you, you really expect in three years. Three years, and I go in the draft. Well, that didn't work out for Luke, and he's got four years in. Now he'll get a fifth year in, and you look at his age, and you realize you know, time is kind of working against him. But, you know, really, what, what option does he have at this point I think it's really a chance to kind of come back and kind of see how things go. So back 2019, you know, Luke was a part-time contributor then. Did not start a lot. He played in 26 games. He had a grand total of 43 at-bats. You remember he was kind of a pinch hitter by trade at some points. He had 326 as a freshman. That's pretty good numbers there. Uh, 14 hits and 43 at-bats. Scored nine runs, four doubles, uh, 14 RBI. It's pretty good production you know, for a guy off your bench. You're getting an RBI for every hit. You'll, you'll trade that every time. He was hit by the pitch three times, walked 11, struck out 10. That's the worst split of his career 
Let that sink in for a second. In a full season, right? That's a pretty impressive number. Okay, 2020. Again, Luke is a part-time contributor in an abbreviated season, and he hits 231, the lowest batting average of his career at Mississippi State against a shortened season. Played nine games, 26 ABs, six hits, two doubles, three RBI. So, of course, his numbers are down a little bit there. And uh, one hit by pitch, two walks, just four strikeouts. Then we get to 2021. Luke Hancock then becomes a regular player for us. He was a D- in the lineup every day. DH caught a little bit. Eventually made the move to first base. And, and to be honest with you, and I love Josh Hatcher. I do. I've got a lot of respect for Josh. And it just never really came together for Josh in 2021. In 2020, Josh Hatcher was playing the best baseball of his career at Mississippi State. Had a really big year for Kennesaw State this year. Really happy for Josh. But if Luke Hancock got moved to first – I don't think we win the national championship. We talk about making all the right moves, you know, moving Cam James to third that year, moving Hancock to first. You know, the lineup really began to settle. And defensively, we got better. You know, Luke had a you know, one bad mistake at South Carolina, blames himself, just couldn't scoop one out of the dirt, you know. Kind of what happens, and it prevented us from getting a sweep. Now, we still went on to win the national championship, so we overcame that. But now, given the chance to play every day, Luke put together some really impressive numbers. He had 262, uh, which are you know, pretty good numbers, right? Uh, 233 at-bats, had 61 hits, scored 40 runs, four doubles, 10 home runs, and 63 RBI. You talk about a guy that was productive. Again, an RBI for hit. Okay, that, that dog will hunt. Eight hit-by-pitches and then an astounding 47 walks. One of the most difficult guys in the country to strike out. Just 17 strikeouts and 233 at-bats. And a couple of those were borderline, to say the least. He also stole three bases that year, which is a career high. Last year, again, back in the lineup every day, increased his batting average up to 279. On-base percentage over 400. A slugging percentage 419, which is uh, tied for a career best. But, you know, power numbers were down a little bit. RBI production down a good bit. And, and really, that's kind of a byproduct of the fact that we didn't have a lot of guys in front of him getting on base. 215 at-bats for him, which is just, just 18 less than the NAFL championship season. Luke scored a career-high 45 runs and had 60 hits, which is just one off of the 2021 total. And what, 13 less games? So his hits per game average – was the best in his career. And you look back, sometimes you think, you know, Steve, Luke had so many chances here, you know, to come through in the clutch, and he didn't. And you know what? That's something that – that was a team-wide problem. That wasn't just something, you know, specific to Luke Hancock. A lot of people started playing the shift with him. He worked the other way a little bit more this past year. Nine doubles, also a career high. And then seven home runs. So a little bit off the other total, but, at, uh, again, 13 less games. The RBI production, that's a thing, nearly cut in half from 63 to 32. Now, you can't hit guys in from the dugout, right? You'd say, well, Steve, the, the power numbers were down. Yeah, okay, so let's say he hits three more home runs. You know, even if they're grand slams, he's still behind the numbers from 2020. And, again, RBI, in many respects, is a team statistic. You can drive yourself in, but in order to get multi-RBI type hits, you've got to have people on in front of you. And that's one thing things that we struggle to do. We struggled really hard this year – Getting guys on. Luke, Luke hit a lot of times with two outs in an inning. 
12 hit by pitches, that's a career high. 36 walks against 20 Ks. And people are like, oh, his Ks are up. They were up. Yeah, three. Yeah, three. Three. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Luke popped up a little more last year. And that's something to work on. But, uh, again, you, you get a veteran guy here. It's like you begin to think about, okay, if we had been able to go out there and work the transfer portal and get a utility left-handed hitter like Luke Hancock from the portal that had won a NAFL championship and was a starter on that team, we would be thrilled, right? This is better than that. This is like you get your own guy from transfer portal, a guy that knows your culture, a guy that loves wearing the maroon and white for a fifth year. It's incredible. And you begin to think about, okay, what about Luke's place in history? You know, uh, if Luke puts together a season like he did last year, you know, let's say Luke hits 280 and hits, uh, you know, double-digit home runs and drives in, you know, let's say 50 runs, which would be an improvement over last year. I think you look at that and you say, you know what, hey, this is a much better situation. I submit to you Mississippi State offensively is going to be a better team next year because they're going to be a more veteran team next year. And I think you got some guys coming in with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, right? I think you had some guys last year, I mean, the weight of trying to repeat – I think it really got to them. I thought Brad Cumbus responded. You know, Brad was one of those guys that had some talk early in the year and said, you know what, even though we won an Apple championship last year, we weren't nearly as good offensively as we could be. Well, Brad elevated his game, and he's got paid handsomely for it. We wish Brad the absolute best. You know, Luke is back now. And the thing that I think about, too, is like, you know, you know, Luke obviously knows some of these young guys, but Luke's friends are gone. The guys that Luke kind of broke in with, those guys are gone. He's going to be the older guy now. And I think maybe not having to shoulder that burden of trying to repeat, I think you're going to see Luke play a little looser this year. I mean, Luke has nothing to lose. You know, I think there were some guys last year that got a little draft-itis. You know, as, as the season began to slip a little bit, I thought we saw some selfish swings. I didn't see selfish swings out of Luke Hancock. But I think there's some guys out there that kind of begin to think, man, you know, we're struggling this year. I need to go do some things. I got to kind of break out a little bit. And then and they didn't. And I think they probably saw the downside of that, and so did we as a team. So I expect a good year from Luke Hancock. I mean, what, what happens if Luke becomes a 300 hitter? He's certainly capable of doing so. You know, in his four years, three of the four years, you know, his slugging percentage has been over 400. And he's kind of hovered around 400 non-base percentage. As a full-time starter, you begin to do the math here, it's 399. So right at 400 is on base percentage. And I've always thought Luke would be a good two-hole hitter. He doesn't strike out much. You can hit and run with that guy. And I think that's a guy, too, that, you know, when you have the runner at first, it negates some of the impact of the shift. It really does because you, you kind of force a defense, to be honest. But, you know, you got Luke coming up with two outs. He's trying to hit a baseball hard. And, uh, you know, a lot of times – with Luke hitting the baseball hard means getting on top of the baseball and hitting down. So huge news to get him back. And so let's take a quick look at what the, um, you know, the lineup might look like. I'm not exactly sure. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made 
in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y.com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. Got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You have keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You got fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. Got that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient, it's safe, it's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y official.com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy. E-U-F-Y. Sure, at this point, we can kind of set a batting order. I think Luke's got to be in top half. I mean, that's a guy that's going to get on base. The guy's going to move runners. He's an interesting piece. I think Luke is going to be your regular catcher. I think that'll be the job that he is expected to win in the fall. I think Ross Highfield is going to be a star. And I think having Luke here as a veteran, a guy that's caught some, he's played obviously played some other positions, but he's caught some. I think Luke being your everyday catcher and then Ross maybe your midweek guy and maybe Ross works in a game on the weekend some too. You know, we'll see, you know. Um, I think Luke is your everyday catcher. 
with those exceptions. I think he's your weekend catcher, let's say that. I think Ross Highfield, uh, I think he is going to be a special player. I really do. But I think Luke being here as a mentor and as a bit of a stopgap guy, catcher, will give Ross the opportunity to develop a little bit, adjust to see that SEC breaking ball. I've said this before uh, on the show and on uh, the jeanspage.com website. You know, it's like I was a catcher as a young person and then transitioned into an outfielder. But I'll tell you, you know, as a guy that's it's played behind the dish a little bit, it's one of those deals when you begin to think about, okay, blocking up a baseball. Until you have seen an SEC breaking ball dance, until you've had to tie and run at third late in a ball game and a guy spikes a breaking ball and you got to get out in front of it, until you've done it, you don't know what that's like. People are like – and I make these comments and people are like, well, you know, Steve, I'm going to play 6A baseball – it's not the same. It may be the best that high school baseball has to offer, you know, but there are a lot of great players in high school that don't get a chance to play in a Southeastern Conference. But until you've had the chance to do that, until you've learned to do that, it's a challenge. We saw it with Dustin Skelton. That's a guy that went pro, you know. Dustin Skelton, I don't think, got a fair shot in the minors. I'd love for one day for Dustin to be back on our staff coaching private school baseball right now. But, uh, you know, Dustin was a guy – that was on, was a decent receiver early and became a great receiver late. You know, he had some balls go right through the wickets. I mean, and, again, it's the same thing. Until you know how that thing operates and how it moves, how it dances, what it's going to do when it hits a turf, it's a challenge. It's not an indictment on anybody. It's just the reality of developmental baseball. So, I think Luke helps with that. So, I think Luke's your catcher. You look at third base. And to me, I think it's Slate Offord, who's had a huge summer, huge summer. And, you know, the concern about him was never defense. It was the bat, right? And so he needed to get out there and get some ABs against college pitching, expecting big things from him, shortstop, you know, lane foresight. Now, there'll be some guys that will come in and compete, kind of push him a little bit, and competition's good for everybody. And there are some people – I think lane for, I don't. – I'm not going to put up with any lane foresight slander. I'm just, I'm just going to lay it out there for you. I'm not. Elaine ended up having his best year offensively last year. Well, Stevie's only been there two years. That's true. Down the stretch, though, he was one of the toughest outs in the lineup. But by that point, many of us had given up on the season. But Lane took a solid step forward last year. Better defensively. He was already elite. This guy, Lane Forsythe, is one of the best defensive shortstops in America. Now, you watch him every day, and so it's like you're only kind of acutely aware of maybe his issues right, when he does make a mistake. I remember a while back somebody's like, well, he kind of stumbled down the stretch. I think he had like one error in the last 15, 16 games, something, something ridiculous like that. He, just, he didn't boot the baseball around. Lane Forsythe is a defensive gem for Mississippi State. And, again, some guys will come in and push him, make him better. You know, and I think his approach at the plate has helped him tremendously. I think he, he tried to be a pull hitter. I think hitting home run – his freshman year may have been a negative for him, right? Because then all of a sudden you start trying to do it too much. You start trying to do too much with the baseball. Instead of watching your point of contact, kind of hitting it where it is, you try to yank that thing. Next thing you know, you're rolling off the short. Last year I thought he did a much better job working the middle and working away. Working middle, working away. And we, only, we don't need him to hit home runs for us. We just need him to be a punch and judy guy and get on base and flip the order. So, yeah, I feel great about Lane being there, and I think you're going to see him again take an incremental step offensively. Second base, it's got to be Imani Larry. 
And uh, that's a guy right there that should be a double-digit home run guy for us. An incredible athlete. Doesn't have the arm to play short by his own admission, you know. Uh, but a guy that's going to be athletic, good footwork around the bag at second. We talk about, you know, there is some chemistry between middle infielders that I think the casual fan sometimes doesn't appreciate. And you need guys that are athletic with good feet because of the fact it matters more. you got to turn double plays out there. There's communication issues out there. And I think, again, Lane Forsyth is going to be dealing with somebody, again, completely different, right? <laughs> Lane had to get to know Scotty DeBrule, had to get to know uh, – you know, R.J. Yeager, then there's, you know, Tanner Leggett was part of that middle infield for a while too. And so I, I think, you know, again, I think, again, it shows the value of Lane Forsyth that he's able to just kind of play baseball. But, you know, there is some continuity in chemistry that has to be developed in fall baseball. Um, so I think Larry being there, being a veteran guy will, will help with that, you know, just as DeBrew and Yeager have helped with that too. So I think that'll be fine. But honestly – you know, Larry may be the best athlete that Lane has played with at that position. And so I don't look for any drop-off there. R.J. Yeager had a big bat for us last year. He was deservedly a Ferris Trophy finalist. Didn't win it, and that's okay. But R.J. didn't have the range maybe that Scotty DeBrule did, had the bigger bat. I think Armani Larry can kind of be a combination of both. I think that he is going to have better range, and I think that he is going to be a guy that's going to hit some home runs. Does he hit 17, 18? No, I don't think so. But I think he can be a double-digit home run guy. First base, it's got to be Hunter Hines. He was your midweek first baseman last year when Luke caught, and that's kind of like planning for the future. And Hunter Hines more of a natural first baseman than Luke. Luke was kind of a guy that did it because it filled a team need. Hunter Hines, a guy that uh, really chased Rafael Palmero's home run record last year, kind of faded a little bit down the stretch, but he hit some Dave Kingman-type home runs last year. I mean, that one that he hit at Missouri last year, that ball was absolutely smoked. Absolutely smoked. Not to mention the big clutch hit he got against Alabama. I mean, you know, Hunter Hines is a dude, and he's going to be here for two years, two more years, excuse me. He's not going to be draft eligible until after his junior year. That's a great year. That's a great thing for Mississippi State. You look at the outfield, well, you know, Kellum Clark will be in right. Um, you know, Kellum, again, last year, first time he's played outfield. First time he's played outfield. And uh, played a little bit, I guess, in 2021, played out in Hoover. We're just trying to get him in the lineup, kind of open up at the DH spot. You know, I think, again, he holds down right field. Not the most natural outfielder, but that's where he projects long term. Colton Ledbetter will either be your center fielder or your left fielder, kind of depending on what else happens in the portal. If you can get a guy, and you're not going to get a guy on Bill Knight's caliber, if you can get a guy that really challenges out there, then maybe that changes things. But I think Aaron Downs is a factor out there too. And people forget, you know, the coverage's not completely bare. Aaron Downs is a guy last year, you know, he had to sit out early on, he got hurt. When Aaron Downs hits the baseball, it sounds different coming off the bat. He really barrels things up. Even his outs most of the year last year were loud. And so I think Aaron Downs has got to be very competitive out there in one of his outfield spots. This is a guy, too, that I think is going to be a dude. And Ledbetter, of course, he was Sanford's best player, wasn't draft eligible this year, so we know we're going to have him for a year. And so when I begin to think about, okay, what's this going to look like, I think offensively we're going to be better. We need to be. You know, you look at some of the offensive numbers, they're very comparable to the 2021 year. But I think we all will be, be honest with ourselves. Well, we struggled the difference between 2021 and 2022 is we struggled to get that big two-out base hit. 
that's the thing it really does. I mean, how many times do we load the bases or get, you know, runners to second, third, nobody out and get nothing out of it? Or we get one. You know, we didn't have Tanner Allen. We didn't have Rowdy Jordan guys that had kind of been through the wars and had to kind of carry a team. You know, we had some role players that were kind of thrust into a leadership role. But, you know, T.A. relished those moments. You know, T.A. wanted to have the bat, wanted to be in the box with the game on the line. And that becomes one of those things that people are like, well, you know, you're born with a clutch gene. That's complete hogwash. It's developed through time and experience, through adversity. And so I think guys like Luke Hancock will be better for the experience of last year. I think Luke's going to come in here. As, he's always been a gritty and tough, determined hitter. I think you're going to see even more of that this year. And Luke is a guy that came through back in 2021 sometimes too. And, again, I think last year was just kind of a weird year where you had these injuries on, off, on defense and the pitching staff, and you begin to think, okay, Offense got to carry more low. We got to go into the, the final innings, you know, with a multi-run lead. And I think you press a little bit too much. I think Luke is a guy now that kind of sees this year as a gift, uh, as well he should, right? And it's a gift to all of us. It's one less thing to worry about, right? It's absolutely one less thing to worry about. And those are the things that I begin to think about as Chris Lamonis and the staff kind of work through this thing, kind of putting a lineup together and kind of deciding, you know, where all these pieces fit. Uh, I think you feel pretty good kind of about – you know, what you've got coming back, what you've got coming in, and you're not done. I mean, you still got to pick up a couple more arms out there, maybe just one. You know, I think at this point you're, you're down you, – you got your left-handed specialist in Tyler Davis from BCU. You want to get Paul Skeens. We all do, right? I think it's going to boil down to Arkansas, LSU, Mississippi State. I think it's pretty apparent. I think that's kind of where it is. You know, there's some other teams out there kind of in the conversation, but I believe that three is at the forefront of his decision-making process. And we don't know when that's going to happen. It could be LSU, could be Arkansas, could be us. Uh, I still feel pretty good about it. Not to be confused, great. I feel pretty good about it. And a lot of it's too because I know what he means, right? You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like when you ask that pretty girl out. It's like even though you think she likes you and you're getting along great, and it's like you begin to think. And then when you finally make the move and you ask the big question, it's like in your heart you think it's true. And in your head, you're still kind of doubt it a little bit. That's kind of how this deal is here. It's like, you know, it makes sense to me that he would pick us, but because it means so much, there's a little anxiety kind of associated uh, with the decision. So we'll see how things progress. But, uh, you know, again, I think we need a right-handed bat. That's one thing. I've talked about that this entire portal class. We thought we had one, you know, with uh, Bill Knight, and I knew there was always a possibility of him being drafted. Need that right-handed power bat from somewhere. You know, you know, people talk maybe it's Cam James. You know, Cam is signed now. And, and of our seven draftees, six of the seven have drived the one. The one guy that hadn't signed is Casey Hunt. He asked until August 1st to make a decision. He hadn't announced yet if he's coming back. He hadn't announced if he's going to sign. You know, we were told and believed from talking to sources that of, of the seven guys that were drafted, he was the one that was most likely to come back. Cam had a decision to make, but at his age, kind of began to think, you know what, it's, it's his time to go. So – so far, everything that we've expected to happen as it relates to this draft and to this roster has happened. We expected those six to sign. We're holding out hope on KC. We expected Luke to come back. We weren't uh, you know, completely certain about that, but that's what we hoped and what we expected. So right now, Mississippi State is kind of stacking up some pretty good days here. Now, it'd be nice if KC Hunt comes out tomorrow and announces that uh, he's coming back, and then all of a sudden Paul Skeens announces that he's coming. You know, and all of a sudden – 
we start rolling the fall baseball, and all of a sudden, instead of being a thousand people out there at those uh, inter squad scrimmages, maybe it's two, three thousand, right? It's time to start getting excited about Mississippi State baseball again. I know it's been a difficult year, but I encourage you, let's get excited about baseball because your coaching staff, again, making the right moves, making the right moves. And you know what? If we get Paul Skeens, we could argue that we probably had the greatest portal class in the country. If we don't get him, still going to probably have one of the top three or three portal classes in the country. But that's kind of that's, that's the, the difference maker you need right there that probably uh, probably takes you from a potential regional team to a regional host and potentially a top eight. I mean, that's, that's how significant that guy is. That, that's a guy that, that really shores up one of your weekend spots. And I do think State's going to be a lot better on the bump. But to get a guy like that that's already proven it, that's pitched in the NCAA games, the guy's pitched in the tournament, that, that's a guy you need. That's a guy you need. All right, let's thank our friend Blair Chandler. Blair is my friend. He's your friend. Uh, love the guy, man. And, and one of the things, like, I, I love having friends like Blair is, like, when, there are, when I have questions about things that maybe I don't deal with every day, I can reach out and say, you know what, Blair, what, what, what's really going on here? I've got a need. And I know I kind of have a working knowledge of your industry, but, uh, you know, what can I get done? Because Blair is a mortgage professional. And I encourage you, stick with the winners, right? There are a lot of people out there that want your business. Blair is going to give you some incentive to do business with him. Number one, he's a bulldog, owns a place here in Starkville, multiple sports season ticket holder, 21 years in the industry, Top 1% close ratio back-to-back years. Works for Fairway Mortgage. Recently voted number one in customer satisfaction when it came to mortgage loan origination. Give Blair a text or call today at 601-500-2344 or visit him at closewithblair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair.com, B-L-A-I-R.com. And mention to him, you heard about him on the barnyard, he will pay for your appraisal. You think... That's somebody who wants your business. Is like, hey, just tell me you're listening to Steve's show. We'll keep it in the family, brother or sister. And we'll pay for the appraisal. It's about a $500 value. Again, uh, closewithblair.com, our regular host, our regular sponsor of the top 10 list. Okay, uh, we're back to school, which is weird for me. You know, maybe it's not for you guys, but it's like, it's July. What are we doing? You know, uh, so this is a new experience, and uh, thankfully, this is the last child that I have that is working through school, and this is their final year, uh, so we won't have to deal with it. And the good thing is he drives, so I don't have to get up and deal with all this. But uh, I thought, well, hey, you know, we used to go back to school around Labor Day, and here we are, you know, basically the dog days of summer going to school. Uh, I don't know who made that decision. I don't know all the thought process behind it, um, but I don't really like it. I think the kids should have a little more summer. But uh, all that said, it's in the books now. And uh, I got, had some friends send me the first day of school picture. You know, I'm not that guy. You know, I'm not going to get up in the morning and, you know, put on my house coat and slippers and walk around like everything is just so lovely and, you know, have them take a picture and put it on Facebook. I'm not, not, not in any way being critical of those of you that do. I'm just not that dude. Uh, so here, though, since we're back to school, I put together a nice little playlist, the back-to-school playlist. Back-to-school playlist. So these are some songs that kind of reach across generations. Some are timeless classics, but they are all kind of involved going back to school. All right, number 10 from the classic movie, School of Rock. 
It's the song Teacher's Pet, written by our own Zach Mooningham. I love that movie. Like, if I remember it's flipping through at night and it's on, I watch it. I don't care where it is in the show. I don't care what time it is. Like, I could be up at, like, 1.30, kind of working through this whole thing, and it's like, oh, School of Rock song. I got to watch it. I love it. I do. Jack Black is awesome. Ned Schneebly and Sarah Silverman is in the movie. I thought it was very well cast. But uh, I love the little song Teacher's Pat. They play it, of course, at the Battle of the Bands. They don't win. Um, no vacancy wins, which blows, right? Uh, but School of Rock, Teacher's Pet, your number 10 song. Number nine, kind of sticking with a more recent artist. I love this band. I am so, so excited they're back together and performing again. It's the classic Teenagers from My Chemical Romance because they're going to clean up your looks with all the lies in the books to make a citizen out of you. There's some violent terms in that song, too, so be aware of that, too. That's your disclaimer. But Teenagers from My Chemical Romance, number nine. Number eight, going back to my high school days, I love this video, and I don't remember who the, the video vixen was in this, but I had such a huge crush on her. And, and at some point, there was like a poster made of her, and I couldn't find it anywhere in South Mississippi. I'm sure like some people banned it or burned it or whatever, like along with our Kiss records. But it's, uh, it's the song Girl School from Brittany Fox, and I think this might be Brittany Fox's debut on the top ten list. Maybe so. Maybe Roy could t- t- tell it, because Roy is a meticulous guy, the engineers with their list and that kind of stuff. But Girl School from Brittany Fox, number eight, because my baby broke all the rules. Number seven... Also, from my high school days, when this band, we, we talked, they were just on our Bill and Ted uh, episode here recently. This band, when this album dropped, I was so mesmerized by the playing of Nuno Bedencourt, I had to rush out and buy the album. I mean, I, I, I just absolutely had to go out and get it. You Pat Badger, of course, on bass, and Gary Sharon as a singer. I loved it, man. I, and I loved, I've loved everything Extreme has done. But it's the song Mother. Mother. Don't want to go to school today. I think I'd rather go outside and play. And, of course, there's kids singing background and kind of stuff. It's a cool song and uh, really representative of kids not wanting to go to school. And I'm sure there are a lot of kids today, well, they're eager to go back and see their friends. They probably didn't want to get up early and uh, give up their summer to go back to school in July. Number six, I thought about this one. You know, I put this list together last night, uh, texting with Roy. I was like, Roy, what if we did a back-to-school thing? And he's like, what do you mean? I was like, let's do a back-to-school list. And I mentioned this one. He didn't really respond to this song, so Roy may not, I may not have the Roy Samante thumb of approval here, but I went with it anyway. It's a little risque. It's number six. It's I Love You, period, from Dan Baird, a former singer of the George Satellites. I love you, period. Do you love me? Question mark. Please, please, exclamation point. Because, like, he wrote a love letter to his teacher, and she gave it back to him, and it had been graded, right? And she had corrected all his punctuation. It is a very clever premise to a song. Some people might think it's a little creepy, and that's okay. Learn to live a little bit. Take a breath. Betty, I love you, period, from Dan Baird. Number six. Number five, going way back. This, I mean, you couldn't put a list of going back to school without this one. It's She Blinded Me With Science from Thomas Dalby. And, like, I, I'm from the 1900s, right? I'm an old guy. And so I was around in the infancy of MTV. Like, I was around when MTV first broke. And that's before it became like a 24-hour network for hair care commercials and ridiculousness, right? 
they actually, it's music television. They used to always play music videos. And so in the beginning, there wasn't a lot of inventory of music videos because, you know, people just didn't do them. I remember Electric Avenue from Eddie Grant. It seemed like that played once an hour. Well, one of the videos that was in high rotation in the infancy of MTV was She Blinded Me With Science by Thomas Dolby. And the song is great, but I think it's great because of the video. I think we were so accustomed to seeing the video, and it was so silly that it just kind of made sense to us. It reminds us of a simpler time in life. So, And again, of course, you're going to take your four science courses before you graduate. So She Blinded Me With Science. Number four... We're going to rock a little bit here. And God rest the souls of the Ramones. They made CBGB famous. They sure did. But we're going rock and roll high school from the Ramones. That's your number four. I wish I went to rock and roll high school. I went to Columbia High School. And it was cool. And it's a lot cooler today than it was back then, right, with that new great football stadium. But uh, we had a good time in high school. But rock and roll high school had been amazing. Number three. Uh, talked about this on social media a couple days ago. This was one of those bands, too, that they were kind of an acquired taste in the beginning because they were a bit, I don't even know if different is the word. They weren't avant-garde, but they were just so different than anything else being played on alternative radio at the time. It's the band The Violent Femmes. And if you're in school, you got to take your math classes, so we're going to add it up because it's a broken-down kitchen top of the stairs, can I mix in with your affairs? Share a smoke, make a joke, grasp and reach for a leg of hope. You know what I'm talking about. Add It Up is a great, like a lot of people think, well, Blister in the Sun is the best violent film song. I could make that argument. I think Add It Up is the violent film song. That's why I have it number three. Number two, and we're going to go with a cover here because I think the cover is so much better than the original. And I know some of you older guys are going to reach out and say, Steve, you're out of your mind. And that's okay. You've got the right to be wrong. It's America. And it is one that, that is probably the most exercised right in the United States these days is the right to be wrong. But uh, you can't do this anymore. But when I was in high school, you could. It's Smoking in the Boys Room by Motley Crue. That's right, in your face. Back in those days, we had a smoking section at school, believe it or not. And you could get a smoker's permit. I mean, how far have we come as a society? You know, in 30-some-odd years, you know, we, we've, we've banned smoking from campuses, and we you used to could smoke on campus with permission. So you had to get your parents to write a slip. I mean, think about it. I mean, I, and I, I mean this in the most respectful way possible. Do you imagine, can you imagine how rednecky that is, that, you, like, your parents would let a minor smoke? And, like, I'm talking freshman. I mean, you didn't even have to be, like, a senior or junior. As long as you had a smoker's permit, you could smoke. And then what would happen is because people smoked all the time, in between classes sometimes you go in there and everybody get a drag off a cigarette in the bathroom. You smoking in the boys' room, right? Originally recorded by Brownsville Station, I think Motley did a better job of it, and of course had a huge hit in the uh, mid '80s with "Smoking in the Boys' Room." That's on the Theater, a Pain album, if you're if you're familiar. <clears throat> but number one, the greatest song in the history of the world about school. Especially if you were like a teenage guy, right? It's hot for teacher from Van Halen. You got to be careful these days with that. Like you, I wouldn't like send it to a teacher. You know, and I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm going to throw it out here, right? So when I was in high school, like everybody else, it was always a teacher too you had a crush on. When I was a freshman at Columbia High School, the teacher that I had the biggest crush on, 
She's actually a Mississippi State grad. She was, I think it's her first job right out of college, finished up at State. Her name was Cindy Dodson. She was my uh, algebra teacher. And she was so incredibly cute. And she was fun, right? She was fun. Had a big crush on her, n- never, never slid her any notes like uh, Dan Baird did or anything like that. But she was so incredibly cute. And uh, I, I think one of the things that we liked about her is she wasn't so far removed for our, from our age. So, like, she listened to the same kind of music we did. And, listen, she never did anything inappropriate or anything like that. I'm not trying to anyway suggest that. But I think it was easier to kind of relate to her and pay attention in class, not just because she was cute, but because she was so relatable. And uh, I, th- I think, again, I enjoyed going to the class. And not just because she was cute, but because of the fact that I, it wasn't like, okay, some classes you go to and you feel like you're getting lectured to. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, sit down, be quiet, whatever. She was such a great teacher. And, um, and yeah, I, I have no clue what happened to her after, after I left Columbia, Mississippi. But uh, she was a lot of fun, an, an absolute lot of fun. And uh, so I'm going to tell you, you young guys listening to the show, don't slide into DMs being teachers. Don't do that. Don't do that. I didn't do that. You don't do that. Listen to my example, right? You don't want to be rejected either. There's just so much drama in the world today, too. You don't want to be involved in that kind of stuff. Keep your head down. Stay in school. Don't smoke in a boy's room. Listen to some hard rock. Listen to some good rap. Listen to some good country music, whatever you want, and enjoy being a kid. And stay in school as long as you can. Let your parents pay for everything until you absolutely have to make your own decisions and, and start you know, become an adult. But uh, that's your top 10 list today. This is a fun one to put together. It'll be a fun one to listen to. Uh, an honorable mention, I didn't put them on here, and I know there's some people that uh, grew up in the 60s and uh, maybe the 50s that are thinking, Steve, how could you not put the Beach Boys Be True to Your School on there? And, and I considered it. I just didn't think it matched the rest of the list. So a hat tip to the Beach Boys that were huge and Be True to Your School was uh, – it was a big deal. That was back in the old neighborhood school system thing, right? You be, be proud of your school system. And so uh, that's a top 10 list for back to school. If you have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out and let us know. The best thing to do is contact Roy Samante directly on Twitter. DMs are always open. That's at Dogmatic, D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. You can also follow our great list on Spotify. Makes it easy for you. Roy does a great job uh, for very little money, which is none. But it's got a great benefits package, right? The, the benefit is is that, uh, you know, Roy gets, gets acknowledged on the show for being a good dude and being a good friend. And so I appreciate uh, that. And Roy, too, for those of you that have asked you, I had a couple people ask me, you know, hey, what's going on with Roy's uh, situation? Oh, his plan's closing. Uh, he's had a couple of second interviews. So, you know, so we think Roy maybe he's closing in on the gig. So really happy about that. But if you are still looking for somebody, uh, you know, quality control management, uh, Roy could be your guy. Hit him up. Let him know. Hey, we didn't do it earlier, but our prime shrimp player of the day is Luke Hancock. As you guys know, Luke, uh, coming back to be a part of our program. Remind you, go to primeshrimp.com. This promotion ends at the end of the week, so you're running out of time here. Go to primeshrimp.com, use promo code BONEYARD, and save 20 bucks off your first order. Four great flavors to choose from. Bring the delicacy of the French Quarter direct to your dinner table without the normal cleanup and prep of store-bought shrimp. Everybody loves shrimp right? Everybody does. Get it from some folks that know everything there is to know about the shrimping business. They've been peeling shrimp at Prime Shrimp for 80 years. That's as simple as it can get right there. 
Stick with the winners. Stick with PrimeShrimp.com. Again, it's promo code BONEYARD at PrimeShrimp.com. A lot of great testimonials, too. A lot of our Boneyard listeners have partaken of Prime Shrimps. Do you know what, Steve? You're right. It's very well packaged. It fits conveniently in the freezer. Doesn't take up a lot of room. You put on that pot of water to boil. You drop those shrimp in there. Ten minutes later, you're ready to eat. Whether you're topping a salad or topping a you know, a bed of fettuccine noodles, you'll be glad you got Prime Shrimp from PrimeShrimp.com. Next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. I was there recently. The selection is unparalleled at Campus Bookmart. You go by and check them out when you're in town. You'll be glad you did. You know, a lot of people selling Mississippi State merch. Nobody has more to choose from than Campus Bookmart. It is phenomenal. When you walk in there, to quote Ben Howland, it is phenomenal the selection they have at Campus Bookmart. If you can't make it to town, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. And that's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any orders less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Again, that's campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. All right, we're going to be in fall camp soon, and so will everybody else. So let's go ahead and start our SEC football previews. You guys are ready to talk a little football, right? I am. I love talking college baseball, but, you know, that's past now. Now it's time for us to get excited about SEC football. So we'll start with the Alabama Crimson Tide. As uh, usual, breaking news, Alabama expected to be really good, as well they should. You know John Talty, former Clarion Ledger beat writer John Talty? I guess he was a preps guy. Got a book coming out and uh, says that Nick Saban nearly left Alabama and took a job with ESPN. Can you imagine how much easier our lives would be as SEC football fans if we didn't have Nick Saban running the show? And there's a part of me, too, though, guys, honestly, I'm glad I've been allowed to see this. Even though we have really struggled to beat them, we have not really been competitive against them many times in the last decade. You know, we're seeing one of the greatest dynasties in college football history in our lifetime. I'm old enough to remember Bear Bryant. You know, Bear Bryant, you know, resigned and then passed away, and Alabama kind of struggled for a few years, and Gene Stallings came along and, you know, did some big things there. But nobody has done it like Nick Saban in the history of college football. And I think that is – it is remarkable. And you say, well, you know, they've got great culture there. And they did for a long time. But it had been many, many years since Alabama had won an AFL championship until uh, Nick Saban got there. And so, real quickly, I mentioned earlier about how many you know, teams or coaches in a row that have won 10 games or more, and it's ridiculous. The last coach to not win 10 games was Jennings Whitworth, who was there for three years in Tuscaloosa from 55 to 57. The coach before him, Harold Drew, he won 10 games. The coach before him, Frank Thomas, he won 10 games at least once. Wallace Wade, he won 10 games twice. Zen Scott, we're back in the 1920s. He won 10 games. They went 10-1 and one in 1920. That was Alabama's first 10-win season. You know, Bear Bryant did it uh, regularly. It's incredible the, the, the career that Bear Bryant had. Uh, Ray Perkins won 10. Bill Curry won 10. His final year in 89, they tied for first in the SEC, went 10-2 that year, lost to Sugar Bowl to Miami. 
Gene Stallings, of course, comes in and uh, immediately goes to work. They win the NAFL championship in 1992 against Miami. That was what a fun Sugar Bowl that was there, man. That was so much fun to watch that game. 1994, they win the Citrus Bowl, finish fourth in the country, and uh, 12 games that year. And then 10 and 3 in 96, of course, your Bulldogs beat Alabama that year, cost them a chance to go to Atlanta. How about that? So Gene Stallings, you know, four double-digit win seasons. Uh, I don't remember what the what the record on the field was in '93. They ended up having to vacate a lot of those wins. It was nine and three. They were nine three and one. Ended up having to, to vacate some games. Uh, Mike Dubos takes over for Gene Stallings. He's there for just four years, and he manages to have a ten win season and wins the SEC in 1999. And that was the year too. Mississippi State had a chance to win the West. We go undefeated over there to Tuscaloosa, and we lose a very tightly contested ball game. I remember it like it was yesterday. They've been setting the play up the entire day. They've been throwing that little bubble screen. Shamari Buchanan's out there blocking. And then late in the game, they pump the bubble and Buchanan releases. They hit him for a touchdown. Ended up being a difference in the ball game. Dennis Franciani, there for just two seasons. Wins 10 in season number two. Ended up going on probation. Ended up being ineligible, but 10-3. and three. And then Mike Shula comes in. Mike Shula. They go 10-2 and two in 2005, and, of course, they ended up vacating a lot of these games. Uh, this was all, I guess, around the Albert Means situation, if I remember correctly. I think that's correct. And they finally got Alabama, finally. Uh, so, again, even Mike Shula. You know, a guy that uh, you know, didn't have a great career. You know, they passed over Sylvester Croom to hire Shula. He goes four and nine, six and six, then ten and two, six and seven, and then seven and six. How about that? I guess seven and six year was actually the first year under Nick Saban. And of course, Nick Saban uh, has won as many as fourteen games multiple times. So, you see what I'm saying? It's like Alabama has always had this winning culture and tradition, and it really goes all the way back to really the turn of the previous century, all the way back you know, to the 1920s. So we're talking, you know, 100 years of Alabama football. And during that stretch, what, only one coach didn't win 10 games? That's Jennings Whitworth. I mean, let that sink in for a second, that you just kind of show up at Alabama with their infrastructure and their culture, and you become a winning coach. And that's not to say that Alabama's made a lot of bad hires. They've made a few. But the reality of it is Alabama has been good at football for longer than all of us have been alive. I don't think there's too many 102-year-olds listening to the show. But Alabama, again, expected to be really good this year. You know, last year, Alabama, you know, great year for those guys. Played for a NAFL championship. They win the Cotton Bowl. And let's run it down, a 13-2 year for them uh, last year. And, again, another great year, uh, you know, putting guys into the NFL. It's remarkable to think about how successful they've been basically as a football factory. I mean, right? I mean, that's just kind of where we are. I think we all look at that in hindsight and say, you know what? You know, when, when guys go to Alabama, you kind of understand it. You're like, yeah, I got it. I get it. All right, looking at last year, Alabama, of course, opens up blowing out Miami 44-13. There were some people that tried to suggest that was going to be a better game than it was. It was mainly TV hype. I mean, it was also the opening weekend of the year. 
Then Alabama destroys Mercer, 48-14. Showed some mercy in that game. They sneaked by Florida. Of course, they had played in the 2020 SEC Championship game. Dan Mullen and them had a big comeback and made that game awfully interesting. Alabama survives with a 31-29 win in the Swamp. They route Southern Miss the next week, 63-14. They beat Ole Miss, 42-21. Of course, Ole Miss wins the fourth quarter and they hang a banner. They lose at A&M. Of course, that's a week after we had beaten A&M. People were ready to fire everybody over there. Jimbo, they're putting for sale signs in his yard. A&M kicks a last-second field goal to win 41-38. They come here, beat us 49-9. Not much fun. Tennessee Volunteers, they beat them again. I'm so sick and tired of this whole third Saturday in October. I'm not going to go into that again. That's one of the things I'm so ready for when it comes to the schedule rotation is the rest of the league and every sport is not going to be held hostage by that stupid game that Tennessee can't be competitive in. 52-24 winners for Alabama. They get a bye week, and, of course, at this point, we all knew that Orgeron was not going to be coming back. The Tigers make it interesting. Alabama wins 20-14, even off a bye week. New Mexico State was the victims of next week, 59-3 winners, and then they beat Arkansas 42-35. That was a CBS game. Arkansas really hung in there for a while in Tuscaloosa, made it awfully interesting. KJ Jefferson won a big ball game. They come from behind. There were so many people ready to fire Brian Harson. Alabama wins this ball game in four overtimes. Remember how wild and crazy that thing was? And, and uh, Alabama makes the big throw uh, to the far pylon late in the game. That's what winners do. They play to win. Alabama could have easily just kind of played it close to the vest, but instead they take a shot and they connect. Force overtime, come back to win. Incredible. And then, of course, they, uh, they win the Cotton Bowl. Let me back up a second. They beat Georgia like a drum in the SEC championship game. I think many of us, including myself, really thought Georgia's defense would hold Alabama down. They put up 41 points. It was an absolute bloodletting in that ball game. They beat Cincinnati 27-6. Cincinnati, of course, uh, your G5 program that makes the playoffs. And uh, great defense. Just didn't have the athletes to run with Alabama. And then Georgia gets their redemption and revenge in the NAFL championship game 33-18. And, again, in the second half of that ball game, there was no doubt who was going to win. Let's take a quick look at the schedule this year. And then we'll break down the roster just a little bit. You know, I mean, you know the names. It's not like it's going to be some big surprise. Uh, they open up against Utah State. That should be a blowout. Then they go to Texas. Uh, that will not – they're going to hype that game up. I just don't think Texas has the athletes to run with Alabama. Maybe a game for a quarter. I just think Alabama in the end, especially defensively, will be too much for Texas. The uh, ULM Warhawks play victim September 17th in Tuscaloosa. And then Vandy comes in. So I mean, you should look at it. The, real, the only real test the first four ball games is Texas. And you got to go to Austin. Outside of that, those should all be blowouts. Then they go to Arkansas. This is when it gets a little bit interesting. This stretch in October, the month of October, if Alabama is going to lose a game, and I don't think they will, I think it's going to come in the month of October, though. They travel to Arkansas, a team they narrowly beat the year before. Now, you better believe that Nick Saban and them will have the guys ready because they won't have to play hard you know, the previous two weeks. And that's a challenge in and of itself. It's like when you can show up and get to the motions to win, can you turn it on again when you go to a hostile environment like uh, Razorback Stadium there? They host A&M, and you know, you know they're going to be ready for that one. Uh, that's where I think if you're Arkansas, you, you, maybe you catch them looking ahead a little bit, you know, if that's possible for a Nick Saban coach team. 
The next weekend, they travel to uh, Knoxville and then round out the month by playing Mississippi State for homecoming in Tuscaloosa. They have the final week of October off, so Halloween weekend, they will be off. They come back after the bye week for the second consecutive years and play LSU in Tiger Stadium. Then they travel to Ole Miss, then it's Austin P and Auburn. Should be a 4-0 November, but uh, you just never know. I think maybe the bye week comes at a good time for them after, you know, pretty again, a challenge in October. Not that Mississippi State has made this game competitive, but my point being is that should be four very physical games of football. Alabama should win them all, but uh, the bye week, again, I think comes at a good time uh, before they head down to take on Brian Kelly. Uh, so, again, I believe Alabama goes undefeated this year and uh, goes back to the West. I, I really do. If they're going to drop a game, you know, I think the Arkansas game is intriguing. I think Sam Pittman's a, a very good coach. He kind of coaches with emotion. He gets his guys up to play. They will be very excited to see Alabama in their own backyard after losing by seven. And then A&M, I just don't think, has the personnel. I think that is a bloodletting waiting to happen right there. And then Tennessee, who has been better in recent years under Josh Heupel. And, again, I don't think they're going to get absolutely hammered by sanctions. That's not something they're going to have to deal with this year. So we'll see. But, uh, again, I think Alabama's going to be very good. And, uh, again, hot take there. Now, the reality of this is, you know, when you've got a returning Heisman Trophy winner, I think you feel really great about your prospects on offense. And, uh, you know, when you look at this thing and kind of begin to break it down a little bit, you know, the running game at Alabama might be a little bit different this year. You know, Bryce Young, a guy that's absolutely phenomenal. I mean, you know, you talk about a guy that's lived up to the hype, right? There were a lot of people last year kind of anointing this guy as the next big thing, and everybody's like, I don't know. And what does he do? He goes out and wins a Heisman Trophy, and deservedly so. I don't think there was any question about it. Um, you know, you had two guys finishing the top five. Will Anderson, also a top five finisher in the Heisman Trophy, right? Pretty cool thing there. So, Young is back. He didn't run an awful lot last year. He ran kind of when he needed to. But I think that that's uh, probably an aspect of that game that we might see a little more from this year. Uh, Look at numbers last year. Bryce Young uh, completed nearly 67% of his passes, threw for 4,872 yards, 8.9 yards per attempt, 47 touchdowns, 7 picks. This is a guy that takes care of the football. He also has some elite receivers that can go up there and make plays around him. Not much depth behind him, you know, for as far as experience, nor do you need it. You know, but what happens? You know, something happens, Bryce Young gets banged up in a ball game and you've got to play a guy kind of behind him. Uh, Bear Bryant's uh, grandson, Paul Tyson, was the backup last year and played in five games and uh, ultimately hit the portal. I think that's correct. I haven't really kept up with that. Brian Robinson, B. Rob, is a guy that waited his turn, was an outstanding player for them last year, ran for 1,343 yards. He's gone now. And so you look at this rushing attack and you begin to realize, okay, so what, what is left? Roy Dale Williams last year, uh, nine games, 284 yards. They expect more from him. Of course, he got a little bit banged up late in the year. Jason McClellan. Uh, five games, had 40 carries for 191 yards, two touchdowns between them. And you say, man, how is the, how is the, how is the cupboard bear at running back at a place like Alabama? Well, you know, it just kind of worked out that way. So they go out and they get transferred Jameer Gibbs, Jameer Gibbs from Georgia Tech. Now, this is the guy, too, you begin to think about, okay, you know, where does he fit? Well, you know, I think it's pretty obvious that uh, – Nick Saban and those guys will know how to use him. 
It's as simple as that. I mean, this is a guy, too, that uh, has played on some pretty average Georgia Tech teams, it, to be nice about it, and still put together two really good good, good years. Uh, as a freshman in 2020, he ran for 460 yards on 89 carries, averaged 5.2 yards per carry, and four touchdowns. The next year, last year, 143 carries, 746 yards, again, 5.2, four touchdowns. Pretty consistent in that respect, right? And also a decent receiver out of the backfield is you know, 60 receptions, uh, for just over 770 yards combined in the past two years. Uh, but this is a guy that's a weapon. This guy's an elite athlete. He's a guy that's worked some as a special teams return guy. Uh, don't exactly know his measurables or his 40 time, but uh, going to be your typical Alabama running back, right? You know, around six feet, 210, 215 pounds, just kind of plays behind his pads. He, you know, he'll fit what they want to do. But – You've got talent behind them. You don't have a ton of experience. And so the Alabama running game, I think, probably has to be a little more dynamic this year. But behind that big offensive line, they should be good to go. I mean, I mean right, I mean, the way that they recruit. And, uh, you know, it is going to be an offensive line that uh, is a bit in transition early on, so the soft schedule kind of favors them. You're going to Texas, maybe a little bit of a challenge for that line because Texas is going to recruit, you know, in the trenches pretty well. You know, they have to replace Evan Neal last year, who was, you know, arguably one of the best offensive linemen in the country, no question about it, one of the first guys taken in the draft. So it may take a little while to get that offensive running game going. You know, maybe you've got to throw it a little bit to kind of get it going. Of course, John Mechie's moved on and recently found out John Mechie has leukemia. Uh, Very sorry to hear that. They do believe they've caught it early enough. They said it's a very treatable form of leukemia. You wish him the absolute best. He will not play this year. Uh, in the National Football League. And then you look at uh, Jamison Williams, obviously kind of glad to see that guy move on, right? Absolutely ridiculous numbers last year, 79 catches, 1,572 yards. And so when you begin to look at this offensively, you begin to realize that they have some talented pieces. They don't have a ton of experience out there. I mean, John Mechie had 96 grabs last year to lead the team. So he's gone, you know. Uh, Slade Bolden, that guy's gone. And so – the familiar names, a wide receiver, are gone for Alabama. And, of course, you go get a transfer running back. So the skill position players around Bryce Young will need some time to gel and mesh. No question about it. You almost wish we'd get them earlier in the schedule, right? You kind of wish we did. They did go out and get Jermaine Burton uh, from Georgia, who transferred over. It didn't play a ton at Georgia, but uh, he will get a chance to be a dude. Right, And um, I, I think, again, the fact that Alabama is kind of having to depend on some transfers this year is one of those things you look at the portal and you kind of realize, too, that uh, you know, kind of happens to everybody. You know, did you ever think Alabama would get like the end of a talent cycle and you got to go out and try to find a number one receiver from the portal and got to go find RB1 from the portal? Well, that's the situation Alabama's in. Now, the guys obviously on paper look really good. Can they play together? Can they play together? That's the thing you look at. And, again, this is again. I think Alabama's going to be outstanding because I think by the time they get middle of the year, by the time they hit October, they'll have figured this thing out. I mean, again, you got the greatest coach in the history of college football coaching these guys. But there could be, you know, some hiccups early on. Maybe Alabama wins those games, but perhaps it's not quite as convincing as you would expect. But, uh, again, that offensive line, I think, benefits kind of building some cohesion against a very soft early schedule. Uh, defensively, you know, it all, it, Will Anderson is the dude, right? We all know this. It's not some big surprise. 
Will Anderson is a guy that uh, makes things happen. Henry Toa Toa, of course, uh, leading tackler last year with 111 tackles. He's back. Will Anderson and his 17 and a half sacks are back. He was a guy that wreaked havoc against Mississippi State. Uh, Jordan Battle, a guy that people uh, obviously uh, are, are well aware of. But uh, you know, you, you look up and down the list here, and it's just you know, it's just kind of a, a parade of high school All Americans that have become college. All-Americans. You know, Kool-Aid McInnistry was a guy that uh, got banged up a little bit last year. They, they have high hopes for a guy like him. Uh, Dallas Turner is another guy, too, that, uh, you know, Mississippi State struggled to rust the pasture last year, and uh, Alabama, you know, had a handful of guys in there that were just kind of getting it done. You know, last year, Federi and Mathis with nine sacks, and Dallas Turner, who's back this year, eight and a half sacks, also had ten tackles for a loss. So that defensive front's going to be really good. Alabama always seems to have linebackers. I don't think there's any questions with any of that. I mean, it's just kind of the, the, the bottom line. And outside of Will Anderson, you look at it and you begin to think, okay, this is going to be your typical Alabama defense where guys have kind of bided their time and learned from the guys ahead of them, and now it's their time to shine. So, you know, Toa Toa will lead that group, but um, there's a lot of these guys out here. Jalen Moody is a guy that will, will contend for a starting position there. Uh, De- Deontay Lawson uh, is another. Uh, and, again, I mentioned Jordan Battle earlier. This guy's a potential first-round draft pick, a-, a typical Nick Saban DB. You know, a guy that's very physical. So I, I think when you kind of look at this-, this team, you begin to realize they may not be the force that they have been, but it's still Alabama. And then you're going to have some guys, too, that will have – the opportunity due to transfer portal to be a more featured piece of the offense. You know, Jameer is a guy, obviously, that uh, in the Georgia Tech offense on a pretty bad team was an all-star. What will he do behind the talent in front of him on the offensive line? And the sooner that offensive line gels, the better that running game is going to be, and the better that they can run it, that's going to open up play action. And with a guy like Bryce Young, I think, honestly, I don't think Nick Saban wants him to run the football much. I think he may have to a little bit more this year. I think he may be a guy when things break down has to kind of tuck it and go uh, to move the chains until they really find some continuity on offense. But all that said, you know, ultra-talented team. Can they win it all? They can. I don't expect it, though. I know other people are going to say that. I think there are just so many new pieces, and there are so many guys that maybe are kind of transitioning from roles that didn't require a starting designation. They're kind of moving into that for the first time. So, again, I could see maybe, you know, some sputtering offensively early. And maybe that Texas game is a little bit uh, dicier. I just think that our Alabama will be able to out-athlete them. So, again, I have them winning the West. I know that's not news. I think everybody has them winning the West. But when you have a quarterback like Bryce Young, is provided you can keep him healthy, you can have a special year. And Alabama always has names on defense. And you, and you don't have a lot of household names on that front this year outside of Will Anderson. I mean, everybody knows at least one star at every level at Alabama. Everybody knows Will Anderson, you know, Toa Toa, you know, Jordan Battle. You know, people forget down the stretch last year, Alabama really had some depth concerns at corner. And it's like I read these people like, why, why did Alabama work the portal? Well, you know, same reason they got Jamison Williams. And Nick Saban's not going to pass on great players. Nor should they. So we'll see how things progress. But, uh, again, you know, now that we're at the end of July, we'll be breaking these things down, kind of getting us into fall camp and kind of getting us into the season. And we'll, we'll preview a team uh, every year. But, again, I, every week, every show of every week, if I can ever get that out, 
But the reality of it is they're still Alabama. They still have the best quarterback in the country. And they've got the raw materials to kind of piece this thing together. And, again, I think the schedule is so advantageous for them because by the time that you get to the meat of the schedule, you'll have figured out some things rotationally. You'll figure out, you know, how, you know these guys on the offensive line probably play deeper in the ball games in September just to kind of find, you know, some chemistry together. I think that's what's going to happen. And I think they're just going to be a team, obviously, that defensively should be very, very good. And the, the thing that the trick against Alabama, and we've talked about this before, is they basically trick you in to doing things that are not consistent with your identity. It's like you look up and it's like, hey, man, we're in the ball game. It's a 10-7 game. We're in this thing. We need a big play. And so then we fake a punt. And then they blow it up. And then they get the short field and they go down and score. Now it's a 17-7 game. And then you come out and you think, okay, we're going to establish this. And you go three and out. And you punt. You give them favorable field position. They score. Now all of a sudden you become a one-dimensional offense. And really it all goes back to the bad decision. We want to go make a play. We're going to play to win. You know, sometimes you got to let the game come to you. And I, and I listen, I believe, and this is where I give uh, Hugh Freeze's uh, team some credit, Ole Miss wasn't scared of Alabama. They weren't scared of Alabama. I think a lot of teams are intimidated and they play the, you know, the helmet sticker. Freeze had those guys ready to go. And what did they do? They went out there and attacked at Alabama secondary because they had, they had some great receivers. And I think that's why I think that our Arkansas game is a little bit dicey. I don't think Arkansas will be scared of Alabama. And, again, they get them in their own backyard. So, we'll see how things progress. But I think when you're playing a team like Alabama, you can't beat yourself. And there's so many teams that do that. I go back and I think about, you know, that 2017 season, Mississippi State should have beat Alabama. Dan Mullen kind of kind of played not to lose late in that ball game, and ultimately we lost the game. We should have won that game. And I remember early in the game we came out, we ran the football right at them. Aris Williams and Nick Fitzgerald basically punched them in the mouth, and they couldn't respond. And then we couldn't finish the deal. We're driving down late, having a chance to put that game away. We got very conservative, and we couldn't close the deal. One of those that just kind of sticks in the crawl. Because most of the games since then have not been competitive. So we'll, uh, we'll preview another team. We'll just go in alphabetical order and preview another team uh, on Friday's show. Final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. I told you guys before, Portico, if I was moving to Starkville now, Portico is where I would move. 1.1 miles from the Mississippi State campus. Very conveniently located, very easy to find, very easy to kind of live life abundantly there. I'm out here in the sticks. I think I would enjoy being close to campus. I know I'd save a lot of gas, right? But also, too, I know that when my my children come to town, my friends come to town, I've made it much easier for them to come visit me, right? Because you know how it is on game day. Everybody's like, man, y'all come see us. It's so hard to do that. But when you live that close to campus, people can come by and spend a night with you on Friday night, right? Be there all day to tailgate with you. It'd be great. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath house and go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath house. You know, it's you know, the home for basically any size family, whether it be your retirement home, whether it be your second home or your primary residence, Portico has a place for you. The latest in construction, and this is a development that's being put together by Bulldog People. Four Bulldog people. You'll be glad you did. Give my friend Brooks Bryan a call or a text at 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. Brooks, again, part of this great residential development group, bringing a wonderful neighborhood, you know, basically right there within, you know, shouting distance of the Mississippi State campus, right there off of uh, Highway 12. 
You turn off of 82 on a 12, the very first ride is Pat Station Road. That's how close it would be. But again, kind of tucked away in a neighborhood so you have a little bit of privacy. Again, make Portico your next move. Okay, so I read an article last night. You know, I was looking for some things to write about. And uh, a lot of times I write about what I'm curious about. Because I always figure, like, I'm around this stuff all the time. And if I don't know, maybe you don't know. And if I'm interested in it, maybe you're interested in it. So I broke down our field goal kicking last night. You see, oh, Steve, I'm going to turn the show off. No, don't turn the show off. Um, it was awful. I mean, like, you, that, that's not breaking news. You don't need me to tell you that. It was awful. And it wasn't just the fact that the numbers weren't great. We were one of the worst teams in the country in all aspects of special teams, especially field goal kicking. And, of course, if Brandon Ruiz doesn't get injured, it's probably a different year, not just for him, but for Mississippi State. Because a lot of these kicking woes came back to bite us. And I ran it down yesterday. You know, we, we missed the attempt against Louisiana Tech. We came back to win the game. We had, you know, very first drive of the game. We go down there and we missed, you know, 46, 47-yarder. And back in those days, we had so much confidence in Brandon. We're like, ah, oh, he's got it. It's no big deal. But he misses it. Gets hurt. Doesn't play for the next four weeks. Doesn't come back until Alabama. I guess he played a little bit against NC State. The only field goal attempt was Manila McCord, who made it. We're thinking, man, we got to get Ruiz back. We got to get Ruiz back. Then we play Memphis. We lose by two. We had a chance to uh, do some things in that ball game. We blew it. Again, some special teams miscues hurt us in the ball game. But we were one for one field goal kicking. And McCord and Oxen, 39 yarder. You know, I go back to us not having a chance to cash in before. We had a chance to put that game away and go up three scores, and we didn't. Of course, that punt return, it never should have been. That's the play everybody remembers, right? LSU, we lose 28-25. We go one for two. McCord, one for two in the ballgame. And, um, you know, and, and all those were pressure kicks. I mean, it was a tight ball game when we were making those attempts. And, uh, you know, we had a chance. We had a chance to cut it down to what, one, one I guess it was a 10-6 ball game. We had to, something like that. We, we had a chance to cut it into the lead. Maybe make a 7-6 ball game. We had a chance to make some things happen, and we blow the kick. We go one for three at A&M. Even though we win the ball game, we, we could have won that game a lot more comfortably. Now, that the last kick that we tried at McCord out there, and it seemed like that stadium was rocking. There was so much pressure. I feel like I was going to have a heart attack out there. And I'm not even kicking. I think we all knew when we tried him out there, he wasn't going to make it. And that's not a criticism of the kid. That's a high-pressure kick in a big environment, a big ball game. But we missed one earlier that we shouldn't have missed. It, it kind of allowed them to kind of hang around in the ballgame. Alabama Ruiz comes back and goes three for three, and it wouldn't have mattered if he'd have gone ten for ten and we'd have still lost the ballgame. We just couldn't stop Alabama. But it felt good to get him back. Then we blow out Vanderbilt. Ruiz is uh, one for one again. So four consecutive makes for Ruiz since he's back from injury. And, again, not 100%, but a lot better situation. Uh, against Kentucky – uh, Ruiz goes uh, one for two, makes a 27-yarder. Of course, we win that game going away, but we missed one early in that ball game that could have been, you know, a momentum shifter, right? The game that sticks out the most is this next one. And this was the last game that Brandon Ruiz ever played at Mississippi State is Arkansas. We lose this ball game by the thinnest of margins, and we miss three makeable field goals in this game. Three. And I remember when Ruiz missed the first two, I turned to Steph, and I was like, 
Are you going to trot McCord out here to kick this thing? And ultimately, State goes down and scores a touchdown. You're like, okay, we're good. We don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry if you're going to send – is Ruiz banged up? He's already 0 for 2. Do you put the freshman out there in a pressure pack situation? Well, State scores. And all we got to do is get a stop. And we can't get the stop. And, of course, there's that stupid penalty. They called that uh, holding on Martin Emerson that was absolutely a bad call and extended the drive for Arkansas. I mean, you know, we, should, we would be celebrating a different day today. We wouldn't have been in the Liberty Bowl. We, you win that game, you're 8-4 and four in the regular season, right? You're probably in Florida somewhere. Now, that's not going to say we wouldn't have got COVID in the bowl game, but the reality of it is, is this is the ball game when you look at and say, you know what, special teams really killed us? It's the Arkansas game. That's the one, and it's always such a nip-and-tug game with those guys. You know, now Joe Moorhead absolutely beat, you know, Chad Morris to sleep his two years. But over the course of the last couple of years, you know, with Mike Leach, those games have been very close. And in close games, special teams matters more. We go 0 for 3. I mean, you make a field goal, you win the game. That's how simple it is. You make a field goal, you win the game. Now, at the end, you know, we try a game-time field goal, and uh, we send McCord out there. Now, we all knew he was going to miss it before he went out there. And, again, I hate to sound overly critical of Nolan McCord, he is a fine young man that did the best that he could. But that situation, it's an awful lot to ask of anybody, much less a freshman. And a guy that's been in and out of the lineup. We blew it. We absolutely blew it. Now, it didn't, it didn't just boil down. Will didn't play real well in the first half. It kind of felt weird, and we finally got it going, you know. And uh, Will was magic in that fourth quarter and deserved better than what we gave him. But we lose, again, 0 for 3. 0 for 3. Could, just couldn't finish drives in that game, man. We just couldn't finish drives. Auburn, you go 1 for 2. Of course, it, it didn't matter in the end because, uh, you know, you had the big comeback and you win it hand, fairly easily. McCord goes 1 for 2 in this one, and then the next week goes 2 for 2. So now all of a sudden, after we have the bad you – know, a couple of bad kicks there, um, maybe he's returning to form. They're like, okay, Matt, maybe now he's getting some confidence he's going to be okay. And we go two for four against Ole Miss. Did you realize we had four field goal attempts against Ole Miss? We only punted twice in the game. Well, let that sink in for a second. You know, the biggest miss, and I believe this wholeheartedly, was the one right before the half. You know, we go down there and we drop three consecutive touchdown passes. And you remember how brutal that was? And then we missed a field goal and come away with nothing. That ignited Ole Miss and deflated us. We talk about how football is a game of emotions and a game of momentum. We had a chance right there to steal some momentum because we had a great drive going. We're going right down the field, and you think we're going to put it in the end zone, and we should have. And then we come away with nothing. And I think what happens then is you begin to have this feeling that, you know what, it's just not our night. And it wasn't our night. And, again, I say it, Ole Miss was a better football team than us last year. Were we capable of beating them? We absolutely were. But not when you go two for four on field goals, not when you drop basically four touchdown passes. You know, it's just like that out pass to Makai Polk that uh, I don't know if Makai stumbled out of his break or Will just overthrew it. That was a touchdown pass right there. You know, that we, that we make that, that throw every day in practice. We make it every day in a game, and he couldn't get it done. And so, yeah, could State have won the game? Yeah, but Ole Miss, if we're being objective about it, they were a better team than us last year. And Matt Corral won the game. There's no question. When the game was on the line and our defensive front was kind of making hay that our offensive line, Matt Corral was able to use his athleticism to move the chains and win the game. Tip of the cap to him 
I know that his name has been in the news here as of late. I don't really have any opinions about that. I think, you know, my opinion about it is is not really what Matt Corral said. I don't think maybe he intended it the way that it sounded. But it's all the people out there that want to rush out there and try to spin this thing away. He said it. You know, he's the one that said, if I had to do it over again, I'd have gone somewhere else, basically. Uh, but it's funny, you know, anytime there is any type of negative press, we have these people that want to be spokespeople uh, for the people that actually spoke for themselves. Uh, so I think that's rather interesting. But, um, yeah, again, I look at this and I begin to think about Massimo Biscardi. You know, and, and listen, that guy has missed an, an extra point a year every year. So go ahead and get ready. He may miss one of those too. And hopefully it won't be one that's very valuable. All points are important, but hopefully it's not one late in the ball game that we have to absolutely have to have to kind of keep playing. But we, we saw an issue, we addressed it. And this is the thing, when we, we broke down special teams a while back on the show, I think Matt Brock is a fantastic coach. You know, back in 2020, we felt like we had one of the better special teams units in the conference and, and certainly in the top half of the country. Last year we were awful in every aspect, in coverage and returns, and that's, that's even with Tulu Griffin having a great individual effort. And so Mike Leach makes a change coaching special teams. Now you've got Matt coaching linebackers in its entirety. Eric Mealy now is coaching special teams. But you didn't just shift personnel around. You went out and got some better players to work with. Uh, you know, Tucker Day is a guy that was a high school All-American. At times he had some big moments for us, but, you know, he, the, the, he struggled with consistency. He struggled at times with injuries. So you go out and you get George Giropoulos from UMass, one of the better punters in the portal, no doubt. You look at uh, Massimo Biscardi, you bring that guy in, it's like you begin to think about this. You know, what if we were just average last year, just average in field goal kicking? We talk so much about these things that kind of blow up in our face. What if we're just average? You know, and the fact that we look at this a handful of plays, well, if this doesn't happen, we win the game. Those plays still count. But your point is a good one. You know, there were only, you know, a couple games you look at, you say, you know what, Mississippi State kind of got manhandled. And, you know, we were competitive in every game with the exception of the Alabama game. And that's the thing that I look at. You know, it's like all those plays matter. No doubt about it, they do. But you expect some up and down with a younger team. And, and people, oh, we're not young. We were young. And you know what? In some positions, we're going to be young this year. But by and large, we're going to be one of the most experienced teams in the conference. You know, as a team, we are not a young team. We're a veteran team. Are we a team laden with seniors? Not on offense. Well, we got some dudes. And you go back again, you just run down the numbers here. Louisiana Tech game, you win it by one. It probably shouldn't have been as close as it was. But it was. We had to block a field goal to win that game. And even when we won, it felt like a loss because you're like, you know what, we're going to be chasing the season the whole year. You ever won and know. But we wanted to win pretty there. We knew Louisiana Tech was going to be more competitive because they went out and signed like 30-something transfers. It's a ridiculous number of players. So you knew their talent level would be improved. I think they bushwhacked us a little bit too. I think we were – I think maybe we went out there thinking, okay, it's just Louisiana Tech. And the pick six, of course, really got to us. And we had a couple busts in the secondary – you had a chance to say, you know what, I'm, I'm, okay. Then we get a ranked NC State team the next week and really manhandled them. Even though the game was 24 to 10, it never really felt like we were in trouble. We'd go up and play at the Liberty Bowl. And, and the thing that I go back to with that ball game, we had every opportunity. I mean, guys, it's 17 to 7 at the break, right? We're up 10. 
And it's like the only offensive production they have is a defensive touchdown. Offensively, they had done next to nothing. Defensively, we're playing outstanding. We give up two non-offensive scores in this game. That's a difference in the ball game. The scoop and score, and then, of course, the punt return that never should have happened. It led to a 17-point fourth quarter for those guys. But, you know, that's the thing. You get the whole situation here, and Memphis comes out down 10. They're opening drive. What do we do? We pick it off. Emmanuel Forbes takes it down to the 14. You're thinking, okay, well, we've got a chance here to put this game away. You know, we can make it a three-score game. And we get nothing. We get nothing. Should have kicked a field goal. We all talked about it then. Should have. And at this point, we didn't have any reason to really doubt the field goal kicking, you know, because we were still third game of the year. We were one, we're one for two on the year. And you got to think we can make a chip shot. But, you know, we get that interception, and we return it down to the Memphis 14. About to make it a three-score game. What do we do? Swing it out to Jernigan for nine yards. It's down to the five. Second and one from the five. Dylan Johnson runs for two. Gives the first and goal at the three. And then we come away with nothing. Nothing. We complete Jameer Jameer Calvin for a four-yard loss. It's a bad read. Makes it out to the seven. We throw to Malik Heath. Gets it back to the two. Third and goal from the two. Incomplete to Makai Polk. And instead of kicking the field goal, we go for it again. And it's incomplete. They get a little pressure in our face. You know, it's like you look back at these things, you know, and it all matters over the course of the ballgame. When you're a team like us, though, you've got them on the ropes. you got to put that ball in the end zone. If we go up three scores right there, if it's 24-7, to that game is over. It's over. You can say, well, Steve, there's a lot of ball game left. It's true, but when you're up three scores, you talk about getting aggressive defensively. And so you run through, again, LSU, we lose about three. Texas A&M, we win by four. Alabama beats us by 40. We beat Vandy by 39. Beats Kentucky by 14. And we lose by three in Fayetteville. And we beat Auburn by, uh, was it, nine. And we blow out Tennessee State, and we lose by 10 to Ole Miss. And so, you know, really the only game in the regular season that we weren't competitive in was Alabama. You get to the Liberty Bowl, and again, a game maybe we shouldn't have played. You know, they ran all over us. You know, and give Sonny Cumbie and those guys credit. They were prepared for what we did. You know, Mike Leach probably should have added a couple more wrinkles in there to kind of keep them honest. I mean, it's like they knew what we were going to do. So all those games, because of the margin of victory in these games, are so close. You know, that, that really kind of makes the kicking woes even more pronounced because of the fact that we were in so many close games. If we can just be average field goal kicking this year, yeah, you ought to be able to squeeze that another win, maybe two, Right. And so I illustrate that point just to say this. We had a need. It was a glaring need, right? I mean, you would be almost derelict of your duties if you didn't do something to shake it up. We go out and get a Lou Groza nominee in Massimo Biscardi. We get George Giropoulos to help with the punting, and we make a coaching change. And so I expect there to be better results from special teams, and I think you should expect that too. And I think it's okay to expect more. Listen, that's it for today. Listen, we're selling some copies of Stark Villains and Alpha Dogs. Dogpile's kind of slowed down a little bit, but it's time to get excited about baseball again. Uh, go to dogpiledabook.com, and while you're there, you can get all four of my sports books. It's Flim Flam, Stark Villains, Alpha Dogs, and, and some of you guys are, are listening to me when I tell you that we're about to run out of Stark Villains and Alpha Dogs. There will come a day soon that I'm going to say, you know what, if you want a copy, you got to get it from a bookstore because we're out. 
that day is coming soon. And so I encourage you, if you want to get it signed and personalized, you need to go ahead and order through dogpilethebook.com. And there are a lot of your friends, too, that have kind of like taken a, a snooze on baseball because the season went so bad. Maybe get them fired up again because better days are coming. Maybe give that gift. And there's, there's birthdays coming up. And, uh, you know, listen, I'll tell you this, too. One of the coolest things is when I get emails from teachers that, like, uh, kids have done book reports on my books. That, that's something, that, like, when you start writing books, you never think about. And then all of a sudden you get an email. It's like, hey, just want to let you know this kid wrote the book report, thought you might like to see it. And sometimes they're very young kids, which uh, surprises me. I, don't, I mean, not, not eight or nine, but, like, they're middle school kids, and they – you know, read a 320-page book for their book report, and they write about it. And uh, it is it kind of a surreal experience to think that there's a kid out there doing a book report on something that I wrote. Uh, and the first one that I got actually was a flim-flam, a high school student at a high school that shall remain unnamed. And this smarmy little bulldog, who I love, had an Ole Miss English teacher. And she loves Ole Miss. But she was a very good sport, and he wrote about flim-flam for his book report to kind of get her goat and after reading the book report she decided to read the book and she messaged me and said you know what I'm gonna give both of you guys an A so that was very nice so that's very interesting too so maybe you've got some kids in your family that need some reading material uh, maybe you do as well you know stick out a little bit of summer laugh for those of you that aren't in school and uh, I, again I, I love writing these books and again I've kind of enjoyed kind of having a summer off this year I'll get the itch sometime here in the next uh, several months and then we'll see what happens but uh Reality of it is, is I work very hard on these books, and I appreciate your support of them. I love when people send me pictures, and they got all the books on the shelf. It's pretty outstanding. Because uh, I write these books for you. They're, they're my names on the book, but they're our stories. And so I encourage you to go to dogpilethebook.com, get the four sports books. You can get Blooms of Oleander, of course, from Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, booksmillion.com, uh, or your local bookstore can order it for you. How about that? If you've got a local bookstore that you frequent regularly, you can say, hey, will you order this book for me? And they absolutely can. Uh, Stark Villains gear always available at StarkVillains.com. You probably need some new T-shirts. It's going to be hot, and you want to look fashionable, you want to look cool, go to StarkVillains.com and get some Stark Villains gear. That's it for today, man. We'll be back on Friday, but until then, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments. Get started at Chime.com slash build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA. Members FDIC. Results may vary. See Chime.com for details. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details.